Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hey, Lisa, happy Tuesday, and welcome to episode 22. It's good to see you, Melissa. How are you? I'm good. What I really want to know, though, because it's been a while since we talked, how is your book going? Oh, it's actually going pretty well. I'm so excited. I, you know, we wrote this book over so many years. And for those of you who don't know, I wrote a book with Dr. Karen Purvis. And um, she passed away before it was published. And now with the support of her family and the Institute, we're um, publishing it. And so I wrote it over such a long period of time, and we wrote it chapter by chapter. And so I finally took all of those chapters and put them into one manuscript, one document, and I'm reading it start to finish for the first time now. So that's been really encouraging and kind of exciting and also really touching to kind of hear Karen's voice, Dr. Purvis's voice. It's really a a neat experience. I know we're all... Wishing we could live vicariously through you. I know we'll, we'll get to soon when the book is released, but what a huge blessing. Yeah, I really, I really hope it's a great tool for our community. It will be. It will be. You have nothing to worry about. So you can interview me about my book when it comes out. But today we get to interview a friend of ours who is releasing a brand new book in February. It's our friend Mike Berry of Confessions of an Adoptive Parent. And Mike is a personal friend of mine, Mike and Kristen. They live in Indiana, and they have six kids. And not long ago, they moved to their own little farm. And Mike says they have two dogs, three cats, two miniature horses, one donkey, one goat, 10 chickens, and 40,000 bees. Yeah, I'm always so impressed by people who do animals, too, because I feel like I can barely keep my people, my humans alive. So the whole animal thing just blows my mind. I agree. I agree. It's really impressive. So Mike is an author, a blogger, public speaker, and parent coach. He is the author of two books and the co-founder of the award-winning blog, ConfessionsOfAnAdoptiveParent.com. He and Kristen also host the award-winning podcast, The Honestly Adoption Podcast. And we were recently uh, given the same award on the same list. So we are also an award-winning podcast now, Melissa. I know we made the feed spot top 20. Pretty impressive for our first couple months. It is impressive. And it's so much fun, too. So that makes it even better. We couldn't have done it without you all who listen, because they based those on statistics on who's listening, you know, how many likes people in our Facebook group, those types of things. So honestly, it's all about you guys. You guys have, you know, shown up and given us lots of support. And so thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, for leaving reviews. All those things really, really matter and they encourage us. We, we get really excited about every review. Honestly, we read everything you have to say. And then one last thing about Mike I wanted to mention, he's also a featured writer and influencer for Disney's Babbel.com, which is kind of neat. But best of all, Mike and Kristen are just truly wonderful people. They're a lot of fun to spend time with, and I just appreciate them a lot. And I'm super honored because Mike told me that when I interviewed him about his new book, this was the first interview he'd done about it. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. (laughs) 
today I'm so honored to welcome my friend, Mike Berry, to the Adoption Connection Podcast. Thanks for being here, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, this is really fun to get to connect with each other. And next time, maybe we can have Kristen, too. Yes, definitely. She would love that. So tell us a little bit about your family. So we are a a family. There's 10 of us. We have eight children, all through adoption. Uh, we, we are former foster parents. We were foster parents for nine years. Uh, we actually began the adoption journey um, through private adoption in 2002. We adopted our daughter in 2002 and then became foster parents right after that and uh, fostered for about nine years. And actually, uh, after that, uh, six the next six children that came into our home were through foster care. And then our last adoption uh, which made number eight was a private adoption. So private adoption on the bookends, foster care in the middle. Um, and it, it's been uh, quite a journey, a lot of fun. Um, we are also grandparents. We have three grandchildren, which I have gladly accepted now. But when I was in my 30s and I was a grandfather, not as accepting, but I've gotten past that. <laughs> and now I have accepted it. I love them. They're beautiful children. Um, my two oldest daughters have uh, both have children. So we live in good old Indiana where it's snowing right now. I'm watching the snow out of the window and uh, we live on a farm much like you guys. We've, we've uh, followed the Qualls way (laughs) and moved on to a farm. So um, that's us. Uh, We have lots of animals. We cannot stop saying yes to animals. So I came home from a recent trip and we had two more cats and I, I saw yeah. those on Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah, they were a big hit on Instagram. Uh, that took a little bit of adjustment when I got home. I was like, "We got what?" You know. So, um, but we live on a farm now, so I guess you can justify it, right? So, right. Um, but yeah, that's the Barry family right there. Well, and we know each other from speaking at events together and just kind of. Uh, being alongside in the adoption community, and you do a lot for adoptive and foster parents, you and Kristen do, which is a huge blessing to all of us. And you have a new project that is going to be not just for adoptive and foster parents, but for all parents. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of been a fun project to, to take on because I stepped out a little bit out of my normal niche, which is foster care and adoption. Uh, to create, to write this book. So, yeah. So tell us about the book and tell us the title of the book and a little bit about it. And then I have questions for you. So the book is called Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. Again, you, you already said it. It's, it's a little bit of a step outside of the foster care and adoption community in that it's written for general parenting uh, for all parents. Uh, whether you're a biological parent, whether you're an adoptive parent, foster parent, uh, grandparent, you know, any parent would this book is, is, is for. And it's basically, it's based around understanding and leveraging your influence as a parent. Um, understanding that you do have the greatest voice of influence in your, par- in your child's life and how to leverage that to build a positive lifelong relationship with your child. That sounds really, really wonderful. I'm looking forward to reading it a lot. So tell me the story behind you writing the book. Like what, what happened that made you think, oh, this is something I need to tell people? I spent, before I became a, a full-time author, blogger, and public speaker, uh, I spent 
17 years working in family life ministry. Um, and I worked in that time, uh, I worked in four different churches and I served as a youth pastor. I served as a, in, in children's ministry. I served as like a, a team leader, like an executive director over youth ministry. I spent a lot of time with families. In fact, I probably logged upwards of hundreds of thousands of hours meeting with parents, counseling parents. I noticed through all of those years, I would continually um, meet parents who were parenting teenagers and they would come into my office and they would, it was kind of the same storyline. They would plop down in the chair, in the couch in my office, exhausted, broken, uh, upset. And they would typically say something that, that mirrored each other. And that was, I just feel like I've lost touch with my child. Like they used to be this, this, when, when they were younger, they were this, this, they were, the, they, were this, they were this kid that just wanted to do everything with me. They wanted to, when I came home from work, they ran and jumped in my arms and, and they wanted to go to the grocery store with me. They wanted to hang out with me in the garage. They wanted to do everything I was doing. And now that they're teenagers, it just seems like they don't care. You know, they don't, they don't want to be with me at all. And it feels like no matter what I say, it doesn't get through to them. And I just feel like I've lost touch. And I would hear this repeatedly over and over and over again. And it, Back then, long before I became an author, it prompted this idea in me like, man, if only parents would under, could understand that they possess the greatest voice of influence in their child's life. They, don't, they just don't have the only, they're not the only voice of influence. So, and it's hard for parents to believe that, but if parents would understand that and they would learn to understand how the different seasons of, of uh, child rearing look and how they they change from one season to the next, it would be a game changer for parents. And so I, I, that, I carried that with me for several years. And then in September 2016, I had stepped off of a stage at a conference that wasn't a foster, wasn't a parenting conference, wasn't a foster adoptive conference. It was just a, it was basically a platform building conference for online marketers, like what I do and like what you do. And I, shared my story of becoming an author, becoming a blogger. I walked off stage. There was this publisher from Baker Publishing who looked at me, who walked right up to me and said, listen, let's get breakfast tomorrow morning. I want to, I want to ask you about what you're doing. I want to hear about some book titles you have. And so I pitched this book to him over two, two and a half years ago. He loved it. He's like, that's exactly what parents need to understand. And so so I created, wrote this entire book based around this idea that parents, you are the greatest voice of influence in your child's life. You're just not the only voice. And when you understand that and when you learn to leverage that, and you learn to widen the circle of influence and invite other um, voices of influence in and embrace those voices, number one, it helps you as a parent. Um, but number two, it allows you to take on a different relationship with your child. And so that's a little bit, uh, there's a lot of, a, a, a lot more I could tell you about that. But that's basically the premise of this book and helping parents understand their role in their child's life and how and to use that in order to build that positive lifelong relationship. That sounds so good. Um, why do you or what do you think parents fear the most about broadening that circle, about letting other voices of influence in that maybe shakes their confidence or makes them feel that? Maybe they're losing some of their influence by sharing it. What, tell me about that. That's a great question um, because what, 
what you're talking about is a security that just about every parent has. And I think that insecurity is born out of a, a misconception or a myth that we buy into as parents. And I don't know why, I don't know, honestly, I don't know where this comes from. I think it may come from, you know, some traditional parenting methods that we grew up with, or maybe <clears throat> some misteachings in the church. I don't know. I don't want to pick on the church too much, but it's this misconception that, that we are solely responsible for raising our kids up to become, you know, these amazing productive adults. I think that we as parents carry a lot of weight on our shoulders feeling like if I'm not the one teaching them and I'm not the one guiding them and I'm not the one, you know, pouring into them constantly, then I failed as a parent. But we misunderstand that it, it, yeah, that is our responsibility, but it's not our responsibility to carry that alone. If, if we think that, that their spiritual rearing, uh, their physical rearing, their, their emotional, mental rearing all rests on our shoulders and nobody else around us can play a part in that, then we wind up really stressed out. And I think we wind up constantly, you know, running into a wall, feeling like I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. When I realized, when I learned this concept, what I call in the book, widening the circle of influence or broadening the circle of influence. And what that means is um, celebrating the fact that there are other caring adults that are speaking into my children's lives. Um, when, I, when I grasped that concept, it was a game changer for us because I realized, oh my gosh, these people are partners. Like I have a team pouring into my kids' lives. So I'll give you a really great example. This, and it just happened this past, um, this past weekend. I was flying home from Tlaxcala, Mexico. I was a chaperone for my daughter's choir. And I had a great time with my daughter um, down in Mexico. It was an amazing trip, trip of a lifetime. But on the way home, we were sitting in Mexico City Airport. I believe it was either Mexico City or it was Houston's airport. And I walked over to my daughter and I noticed that she was crying. And she's 16. She doesn't cry all the time. So when she does cry, it's like, that's a big deal. So I walked over to her. I saw she was crying and I knelt down next to her and I said, Hey, babe, what's, what's wrong? What's, what's happening? And she's, she's not answering. I said, Hey, use your words. Tell me what's going on. What can I help you with? About 30 seconds later, she looked at me and she said, dad, I don't want to talk about it right now. I just want to call Michaela and talk to her. Michaela is her small group leader through Young Life. I, my heart filled up with, with this deep joy when she said that. She didn't want to talk to me, and that's okay. She was going to talk to her small group leader who has this beautiful relationship with her, this mentoring relationship with her. And I think sometimes, especially um, parents you know, who come from a faith basis, Christian parents. I think sometimes we struggle with that because we, we carry this pressure of like, well, no, 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 I'm the one that has to, to help you. I'm the one that has to teach you. And the reality is our kids need other voices just like they need ours. Um, and that season when they're, in, when they're teenagers, we've got to understand while we still possess the greatest voice of influence, our, our kids are still taking life cues from us. At the same time that they're growing, they're listening to other voices and that's not a bad thing. You know, their friends, their friends possess a lot of influence in their life. That's why I could look at my child and say, 
oh my gosh, uh, what's going on with the hair? You know, but if their friend says, oh my gosh, that's the cutest hairdo ever. Guess who wins? The friend does, not me. And that's okay. That's not a hill worth dying on. But in this, as, as our voice maybe lessens for a season, you know, we go from being the number one voice of influence when we're little, our kids want to do everything with us and we could tell them we hung the moon and they would believe us. Then it seems like overnight, suddenly they don't care what we have to say. I think a lot of times parents check out and they, th- they feel like that's it. I've lost my kid. They're not listening to me. They want nothing to do with me. And those are the years that you need to stay engaged the most through those teenage years. You need to be comfortable with not being the top voice of influence, but still being on the list of influence, right? If that makes sense. So in that season, you celebrate small group leaders, you celebrate coaches, you celebrate teachers, you celebrate a family friend who also has that voice of influence. You know, parents have a tendency to look at that like, you know, well, I said the same thing to you, but you go, you, you ignored me, but you listened to her. What I'm saying is that's a good thing that's a good thing. You know, yes, you're, you said the same thing and maybe you've been beating your head against the wall because you have been saying the same thing over and over again. And then a 25 year old small group leader could say the very same thing. And your kid listens to her. That's a good thing, folks. That's not a bad thing. You want those people in your circle. You want the circle to be wide. And I've met many parents over the years that feel like, nope, I'm the one that has, I have to do all the spiritual teaching. I have to do all the emotional well-being I have to do. And and my response is, why do you feel like you have to carry that alone? Yeah, you do have that responsibility, but I don't think you're the sole person responsible for that. I think it's a circle of people. Yeah. And you you talked about parents sometimes when they feel like their influence is is waning or maybe being pushed away that they might check out. I think some parents will go to fear. Oh yeah, and, totally. You know, the fear like, oh my goodness, everything I've always taught them, everything I've said, I don't know if it matters anymore because they're heading in this direction and I don't yeah. see it very important. I think part of your message is very calming, yeah. you know, that to bring down that fear and keep parents engaged even if it doesn't feel the same. Yeah, you know, I, you bring up a really good a really good point there. One of the things that I say in the book or two two things I drive home in the book is You know, in that season when you're parenting teenagers um, and you have a parent who feels like I don't have any influence in my child's life, they're not listening to me, they don't care what I have to say, oftentimes parents who believe that and believe that fear, they resort to two different things. They either become this really overbearing parent who you know, has to know every single thing that their kid's doing. Tell me where you were. Tell me who you were with. Tell me what, what she said, what he said, overbearing, overbearing, overbearing. Or you have the parent who just says, whatever, you know, that kid is, and I've, I, unfortunately I've known both types of parents. And unfortunately when the overbearing parent is, you're going to drive your kid farther away and you're going to risk damaging that future relationship. Cause there is a day when you and I believe you and your child can experience a friendship, but that's not when they're a teenager. That's not when they're a preteen that the years of preteen and teenage, the teenage years, those are the years where you need to stay engaged. You need to stay involved. You need to stay consistent. And the payoff down the road is a friendship. So the overbearing parent risks that, but then the parent that says, ah, whatever, I don't get this kid anymore. 
you also risk that because you have a child who needs their mom and dad more than ever grows up without that, that needed voice. And you also risk damaging that future friendship. So we, so what I tell people through the book and when I tell people through coaching is take a deep breath, calm down, stay consistent. Obviously boundaries are, are a must. It doesn't mean you take the boundaries off. It doesn't mean you let them do whatever they want. It means you stay very consistent. You stay a, a, a constant presence involved in their life, but give them space. <laughs> let them be because the reality is they're going through lots of changes emotionally, spiritually, physically. They're trying to figure out this whole world. They need to look at a mom and dad who are present, who are calm, who are consistent. That's, that's what leads to a friendship in the future. You know, my oldest daughter is actually 31. So I've got really adult kids now. I've got yeah. six kids that are 20 and older. Yeah. And then the rest are 19 and younger. So, but really like seven who are out of the home now, it's really something, but wow, I love those relationships. I really do those big kids are such a sweet reward, you know, yeah. when you're still dealing with the day to day, some of the hard parenting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, I think that um, parents who have come to parenting some of their kids, at least through adoption or foster care, that's it. That is a unique experience. It's, it is different um, in terms of building attachment, which we know a lot about. Yeah. And, so can you talk a little bit about that, how their needs might be a little bit different or the same? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There, there are some similarities. There's some overlap there. Um, and, you, you, know, you know, like I'm raising teenagers that, that were babies, that we adopted as babies. And, you know, you, you know as well as I do that, that um, you know, for some of my kiddos who were drug and alcohol exposed in utero, they may be 15 years old physically, but chronologically speaking, you know, we're looking at like seven and a half years old. Um, so you do have a different type of relationship there. Um, I think that the big thing that I would tell parents, uh, especially foster adoptive parents, there's a concept that we teach um, in our, in our trauma knowledge content that we present. Um, and it's this concept um, that we call uh, connection before correction. And I think that's a really important, important thing for parents of teenagers to understand because uh, teenagers through adoption and foster care to understand because, you know, you, you aren't oftentimes you're not going to be relating to this child like a traditional, a biological parent in a nor in a normal situation. I put that in quotes because none of us really have normal situations, but like a child who hasn't gone through major trauma a child who hasn't come from a place of abuse or neglect before they came into your care. So we're going to have more intense interactions. We're going to have some structures that are in place that may not exist in a traditional household. Um, so that concept of always, always having this perspective of connection before correction, you know, our, our instinct is to, as parents in those tense situations, you know, out of our own emotions, out of our own, in our own dysregulation, you know, we have a tendency to say, well, what's wrong with you? Or, or what's your problem? Or, you know, why can't you just, you know, whatever it is, flipping connection before correction is flipping that and saying, how can I help you? I see that you're, you're struggling. Um, what can I do to help you calm down? Or what can we do together? We've, we have a son who, even when we ask that question, 
you know, he's like stiff arming us, you know, nope, stay away, stay away. And again, I think that the tendency is to continue to persist because we're looking for that reaction. I think what we've learned with our son is for us to leave it at, Hey, listen, I'm here to help you and I will be here when you need me. And then we give him his space. One thing that he likes to do is he likes to go to his room. He likes to spend time in his little corner in his uh, protected space, as we like to call it. And we give him that space to do that. When he's ready to come and talk to us about that, we're available for him. And I think that's important too, because you, you do have some kids who can articulate right away. Well, I'm feeling very frustrated because this and this and this, or so-and-so went into my room and I'm frustrated by that. But you also have the kid that's like, I don't want to talk to you right now. And there are some parents, especially this being an adoption podcast, there are some parents who are listening to this and they're thinking, my kid just constantly just shuts me out cold shoulder. And I think it's important um, in their development and in understanding where they've come from to give them permission to have that space. If they're not ready to connect with you, they are not going to connect with you. But your job as a parent is to remain a constant presence reassuring them that I am here no matter what. And even if that's all you say to them, those words are nuggets that are tucked into the deepest parts of their hearts. And I know that because I'm parenting a kid. I'm parenting kids who shut us out for years and still do from time to time. I have a, a, a teenager who has been in my care since she was three years old and she's about to graduate high school. And there are still times where sometimes we'll have a great connection like we did yesterday at lunch when I was out to lunch with her. And then, but then three days earlier than that, cold shoulder. I've grown very comfortable giving her that space, but remaining a constant presence, let, reassuring her that I'm here no matter what. And I think that's important for our, our kiddos who have come from places of trauma, from difficult paths. I think that's important for them to understand because that builds, that's weaving together the, the fibers of their soul as they work to heal, you know? Yeah, that's really both hard and encouraging because I struggle with this myself. I have a couple of kids who really uh, use the word strong arm and that's kind of what it feels like. And I try to stay open hearted and present, but then there's that part of me that just feels so hurt and tired. You take it personally. Yes. And it's I hard to know, not take it personally. Right. I know I'm not supposed to. I know this yeah. is not about there this is about their their woundedness a lot yeah you know? yeah and about their fear of trust and about you know not having strong secure attachment despite great effort you know that sometimes this comes really really slowly but i have been actually pretty i know if i'll use the word convicted with one of my kids that i need even if every effort i make is rebuffed mm-hmm I have yeah. to keep making them, but like within the limits of what you're talking about, like if they say, Hey, I need my space, then we give it, of course. But it's, it's a whole different mindset to say, I respect that. And mm -hmm. I give you space versus, Oh, you need your space. Go for it. I don't really care. You know, like, yeah. like there's that dismissiveness that we can go to, to protect our own hearts. Yeah. And we yeah. are only human and we don't always do it right. I'm sure you know that we don't always do it right fail every day yeah, every, every, day, <laughs> every for day for sure i mean before my my kids go to school now they're not homeschooled before they leave for school i try to make it without blowing it too much but even this morning i was rushing with guy you trying to get him and he said 
you know, when you say that, that just really makes me feel bad. Like, mm -hmm. oh, all I was doing yeah. was up and go faster, go faster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And you know, it, it feels personal. One of the things that we've actually told, you know, our coaching students and, and some of our seminars, you know, we've said it's not personal, but it is personal because we, we can't as human beings and parents, we can't separate. It's not like we can just step outside of our body for a moment and think, Oh, that's, that's a result of trauma. And I know it's not an attack on me, but here I am. I've been parenting this kid for 15 years yep. and they're still doing this. And you know, in all of our research of trauma and how trauma affects the brain, you know, it's, it's like they, it's almost like they operate without even knowing it. You know, it's, it's a reaction at times. Um, but we've had some of those experiences too, where we've actually had seen the light recently with one of our teenagers. And we've realized we have got to keep pursuing her. Yes. We cannot stop. Even if every response is stiff arm, stiff arm, stiff arm, push away, push away. And I fight this hardcore because I have some major insecurities from a disconnected relationship with my dad um, growing up. And it's kind of left me haunted to never be that way with my kids. So when that happens, I take it very personally, like I'm failing and I start to be haunted by my past. And it's really hard to separate yourself from those things. Um, but you got to remember where we often say, remember where your kids have come from. Yeah. Um, you know, we tell people the questions you need to ask yourself in almost every circumstance is what has happened in the past, what's happening presently, and what's about to happen. Um, I, I say that because I think that gives us a, a view of the landscape of where our kiddos have come from. So there are times where we deal with some really heavy situations with one of our sons. And it's easy for me to say, it's just, he's just being a bad kid behaving badly. But when I actually stop myself and take a step back and I ask myself those three questions, what happened in the past, what is happened happening right now? So he was drug and alcohol exposed in the past right now. He's just come home from a full day of school. He's massively dysregulated. And, oh, by the way, he's really stressed because his older brother, who is in residential treatment, is coming home for a visit. So now I've got the full landscape of why this behavior is happening. Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, that helps us as parents, though, just those three simple questions. You know, we have to remember that they're, they're, they're trying to articulate an unmet need the best way they can. And... You know, that's why, and the best way they know how is sometimes to lash out, you know, because there's this, just this volcanic mixture of emotions in them that they can't make sense of. You know, I like to look at it like that, like it's just spewing out at us, you know, it's, it's an outburst, it's, it's tears, it's anxiety, it's frustration, you know, and because we're humans too, and we become exhausted very easily, it's easy for us to lose control of our emotions and react to that. But what's key there is for us to ask ourselves, okay, to remind ourselves where our children have come from, you know, what's happened previously to them. You know, so I think that that's, I think that gives us a landscape, a full landscape. It's like zooming out to 30,000 feet instead of just being 300 feet above ground. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned about um, our feelings. I can't remember exactly how you said it, but I was thinking that I think we do well when we take a little bit of time 
to think about our own, like you mentioned about a relationship with your father, if we think a little bit about our own history so that yeah. when, we, when we are feeling a strong response about something that maybe if we can wrap our heads around it in the moment, we can say, you know, I think I'm taking this really personally, or this is hurting me because of this. And it's not yeah. really about the child. It's about something in our hearts, something in our history, something in our lives that is um, producing a response within us that tends to either make us want to back away or react, you know, and right, right. Either, which is helpful. So, yeah. Well, when people read your book, this new book, which is going to be so fantastic, what do you most hope they will gain or feel as a result of reading this new book? You know, I hope that they, they walk away invigorated and inspired to one parent differently if they feel like they've been off track, especially for parents of teenagers, if they feel like they've just lost connection with their kid. Um, but if they're a parent of, an, of a young child, I hope that they walk away invigorated and inspired to begin these practices, these, these, um, these keys that we teach throughout the book, that they begin instilling them now. Um, you know, we talk about at the beginning, I think it's the beginning of the book. We talk about how this is for, um, this is for written for parents of teenagers, but it's also very valuable for people who have younger children who have children birth through 11 years old or birth through 12 years old. Um, I, so I, I, my hope is that they walk, you know, whatever parent reads this, whoever reads this, that they walk away feeling like, yes, I do have influence in my child's life. And even through the dark days, um, my voice still matters. And they're still taking life cues from me, even if it doesn't seem like it. You know, that's the thing we need to remember as parents, that our teenagers, it's not in their DNA to rise up and call us blessed. <laughs> you know, it's not in their <laughs> DNA to, for them to rise up and say, oh, you're going to Lowe's to get lumber. Can I go? You know, it's going to be awesome. You know, they're not going to do that. I just want to hang out with you, right? Yeah, I, we're rarely going to have that, those moments. Now, if you do have those moments, and we do have those moments, seize them. Yes. Seize them with all of your heart because those, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I went to Mexico last week with my daughter and I wouldn't say that I didn't want to go. It just was like, in a, it's been in a season of, of, you know, we just came off of a heavy travel season. But the reason why I went was that I'm thinking my daughter's a junior in high school. She's not going to call me when she's in college and ask me to chaperone a college trip. It's not going to happen. Right. This is potentially the last opportunity I have to be in, a, in another country on a school trip as a chaperone with my daughter. And she wants me there. Yeah. You know, she was, she was happy to have me there. Those moments are fleeting, you know? And so I, I tell parents, sign up for church trips, sign up for school trips. If, it, you know, my son, a couple of, about a month ago, he's in third grade, fourth grade, third grade. And they were having a dad's and donuts and it was super early in the morning. And I'll be honest with you. I got up that morning. Uh, it was about a half hour before it was time for us to leave and he's sleeping sound. And I'm thinking if I let this go, he's not going to wake up and maybe I can go back to bed for a little bit. And then I had that moment like, Nope, 
dads and donuts is not, I'm not going to have that opportunity much longer. So dads and donuts it is. And so I got my son up and we had a great time together. Seize those moments. I, I just, I hope that parents walk away recognizing that time is fleeting, that they do have influence and they need to seize those moments, grab a hold of them, cherish them. Um, because number one, it's, it's, it's leaving a lasting impression on your child. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transform your relationship with them in the future. Right now, you're not in the friendship stage. You are in the, the I'm a parent stage. You know, and I have to make decisions that you may not like, but I'm doing this because I love you and I care about you. But remaining that steadfast presence and being involved and seizing those opportunities, it changes the future. It really does. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And I'm this, as we're talking and I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there's some things I've done really well and there are other things I need to really up my game and do a yeah. lot better on. Like I think of all these great ideas like, Oh, I think I'm going to take Ebenezer out for breakfast before school. And then do yeah. I my calendar? No. And I think I'll remember and I don't. So like, I think it's important to be very intentional, like put these things in our calendars, get them on our schedules. And, you know, that's a good word about being willing to volunteer, to be a chaperone. Yeah. Be, you know, to show up. I mean, I'm good at showing up at the event. But in the spring, Wagayu will have a week-long or five-day-long science camp. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh, man, maybe I should do that. You know, I don't know if I will. We'll see. But um, you're right. We've got to seize those opportunities when they come our way. We do. And, you know, it's kind of like, I look at it like, you know, I call my dad a lot nowadays, more than I did in my younger years. And the reason is that I recognize he's almost 80 mm. and we're, we're in the end of life phase. You know, it may not be for another 10, 15 years, but it's, it's a reality, you know? And so I told Kristen uh, last year, I'm going to call him every week because I, I don't want to get to the end of his life and realized I never called or I never made time. And I feel the same way with my, with my kids. I, I don't want, I don't want to look back someday when they're adults and they live across the country with their families. And I only see them a couple of times a year. I don't want to re have regrets that I, I didn't, I didn't seize those small opportunities. Those, those times that I felt like they were insignificant, but they really, they, they became way bigger because I showed up. You know, that's kind of, that's the, that's the challenge that I have that, that, that's the reason why after I get off this call with you, I'm going down and picking my daughter up an hour and a half early from school because she's having a crappy day. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a text and said, dad, can you pick me up for lunch? And I couldn't do it because I, I, I had a billion things going on, recordings, meetings, you name it. But I said, Hey, I, I tell you what, I get done with my last meeting at two hits here. It's two o'clock here in Eastern time. I get done about 2.15 or so, 2.20, I'll come right down to your school and pick you up from, and we'll hang out an hour and a half before school ends. So That's huge. I, I did that with one of my daughters last year where, same thing, she was just having a rough day, and yeah. I picked her up, and we actually went and got Chinese food takeout, and we came home, and we watched a movie and ate Chinese food together, and I thought, awesome. that was like one of the sweetest moments. So sweet. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the my podcast, I really appreciate it. And I hope you and Kristen have a great day. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That was a great interview, Lisa. I really appreciate 
Mike's heart for kids, even the really tough ones, even his intentionality to do the things like the field trips and the trips, because I kind of feel like, um, I'm just tired. I, I want someone else to go do all those things for my kids and with my kids. Um, and the thing that I really appreciated that resonated, um, with me, something that we talk a lot about with private coaching clients is our real life parenting model. And the R in the real life stands for reflecting. And that's like the first step whenever there's a situation that we need to figure out as parents, whether it's right in the moment or just kind of a longer term thing. And he talked about those three questions, you know, reflecting on what's going, what happened in the past, what's going on in the present and what might be happening in the future. And I thought that was such a good structure and framework in how to think about what's going on with our kids. Yeah, that was great. I really appreciated that too. So Mike's book, Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids will be released on February 5th. That's going to be really an exciting day. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon. Just search Mike Berry or Winning the Heart of Your Child and you will find it. So you can also find Mike at confessionsofanadoptiveparent.com or they have a Facebook page, Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, or on Instagram, Confessions of a Parent. All of those links will be on the show notes, as well as a free download. Mike is providing you guys a free ebook. It's called The Weary Parent's Guide to Escaping Exhaustion. So I feel like I'm going to go download that ebook when we're finished here. So again, you can find all the places where Mike and Kristen are, connect with them, pre-order the book. There will be a link for that as well. And then also grab the download of The Weary Parent's Guide to Escaping Exhaustion, all at the show notes. And you can find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 22. We've come to the part in the podcast that we call Mentor Moments, where we answer a listener's question. Today's question is, can you talk about how to determine an appropriate level of interaction with birth family when adopted kids have permission and ability to have contact, but parents are either in prison, actively addicted, or just unreliable? Oh, this is such a hard question, and I read it a while ago, and we've been kind of sitting on it because I wanted to give it some thought. And you and me both agree, Lisa, that the first and number one thing is always safety, right? We have to do the things that keep everyone safe. But that being said, as an adoptee and you, Lisa, as a birth mom, we feel really strongly about this level of interaction and keeping it alive whenever possible. Right. And I I think too... um this can change over time. You know, parents may be healthier or less healthy, in jail, out of jail, clean, sober, not. Um, And so I think it requires a lot of flexibility on the part of adoptive parents, which is also really fatiguing because, you know, it is in our nature to, and I think it's a good thing, we are meant to protect our children from harm. But birth family is a really special, it's a special relationship for kids. Even if their parents weren't well enough to care for them, they still love them. And 
even if their actions have seemed otherwise, I think there's still most often, uh, you know, some love there. And so even when it's hard for us, I think we have to support that as much as is possible within safety for our kids. Yeah. And it's hard because sometimes the line is blurry. Like if our kids really struggle behaviorally after a visit, you know, sometimes we think like, is this still good for them? But I think that's all part again, of processing, obviously much easier said than done. Having clear expectations going into a visit for yourself, for knowing how your children normally react before or after a visit is important. But, you know, there's lots of different ways to foster interaction too. You know, we have technology. So, you know, maybe it's a video call. Uh, Maybe it's letters back and forth or or texting. Um, And then if you do in-person visits, especially if you're kind of wary of the relationship or if sometimes visits go south pretty quickly, one really great tip is to, one, always meet in a third-party location, a public location, but also be really clear for your kid's sake and for the birth mom, like how long that that visit's going to be. So it could be as short as a 15 minute ice cream cone. And maybe that's all everyone can handle before it starts to go south. And the goal would be to have interactions that stay positive. And so if they can only stay positive for a short period of time, then go for that. And again, it's a season, it might ebb and flow and change. And you might get to a point where you can do an hour long meal instead of a 15 minute ice cream cone. But keeping that interaction open is important. We just have to have boundaries for safety. Right. And I think, you know, with parents who are less safe or less stable, those boundaries are just going to have to be higher. And then it requires a little more creativity, like setting, doing it with technology, but not in a way where the parent or sibling or whomever can contact our child back that has to come through us. You know, I'm talking right now about when kids are younger, especially, you know, the birth family may not be safe enough or predictable enough to allow that back and forth. And so you can set it up in a way that safeguards your child, I think. And, you know, hopefully the birth family will be a really important and good part of our children's lives because, you know, our kids came from their birth families and we want to honor and respect that relationship no matter what, we want to honor and respect the relationship, even if the parent isn't safe enough at that time or healthy enough to see their child. So we want to be really gentle and positive in the way we speak about them. And then, yeah, give do as much with a visit as you can. Yeah. And I think the high structure, high nurture kind of applies to this too. You know, the high nurture thing is making sure that we maintain this relationship, but the visits might need some structure. So maybe sitting around a table, you know, where there's like open conversation is not a good idea. So maybe it's a game of mini golf or a game of bowling, something where you're active, where there's kind of rules to follow, there's structure. And again, it has an end, a natural ending. So, yep. Well, if you would like to submit a question for a future episode, you can always reach us via email at email at theadoptionconnection.com. We also love hearing your voice and our listeners love hearing other listener voices as well. So if you want to record your question, you can do that by calling 208-741-3880. No one picks up that line, doesn't ring anywhere. It's just a recording hotline. So feel free to call it day or night. 
And then if you need more personalized help for any type of situation, we do offer private coaching. You can grab a complimentary coaching call at theadoptionconnection.com slash services. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.